there. Welcome. And thanks for listening along with Kingstown Communion, an inclusive and affirming United Methodist Church in the Kingstown area of Alexandria, Virginia. And our community exists to gather people, just like you here now, into communion with Christ and extend God's table into the world through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. This podcast is just one way that we live this out. For more information about our church or to give to our ministry, visit kingstowncommunion.net. And if you live nearby, we hope you'll join us for worship on Sundays at Hayfield Secondary School. This morning's scripture is from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. So this week um, on Tuesday, uh, thanks to Phoebe. What did you do, Phoebe? Um, we were at uh, we were at the Fairfax County Governmental Center, uh, and we were waiting our turn to speak um, on behalf of affordable housing, specifically more so like the first one is the the, gov- the Franconia Government Building. And it, the use of the entire, that entire property, the idea is to be tur- turned into affordable housing. Um, and uh, so while we were waiting outside, and it was still, we would be looking like it was going to be a long time before we were going to ever get in. There's, you know, people really are super passionate about um, uh, data centers and them coming into their area. And there was a data center that had taken up a lot of the agenda for that day, um, which delayed the entire agenda. But a woman walked up to a few of us sitting on a bench out in the hallway and uh, gave us a flyer and quickly realized that she was advocating on behalf of the Franconia government building not being turned into affordable housing. We didn't know that at first, incredibly kind um, and gentle woman. Uh, and then we, she gave us a flyer and we realized that, oh, this is awkward, okay. Uh, so, um, so and, and as she, she continued to talk and she said, I just, I don't understand how we can't, um, how we can expect, you know, I know that, that these people need a place to live, but I don't know how we could interrupt the life and cause issue for other people to make that happen. And 
and she had an idea of how it should be used instead. And it felt like a moment. Um, she said, what do you think? And I said, well, you mentioned specifically that we shouldn't, our lives shouldn't be disrupted. The lives of those in this area, that area shouldn't be disrupted. Their home values shouldn't go down and things like that. Because of, of this project, um, well, what, I, what first comes to mind for me is that that's not, that's antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. And, uh, and you could tell it she just glassed over. <laughs> uh, and I said, and that's okay. It's okay if you're not, not a person of faith. I just, as a person of faith, I, I think Jesus never told us to be the preservers of our own life, but to be the keepers and preservers of our, our, our brother's life and our sister's life and our neighbor's life. And so, yeah, I do imagine that we're all going to have to give up a little bit. Um, but as just a follower of Jesus, I think that's kind of part of what we're called to do. And she said, okay, but are you going to go into that room and push your agenda, your faith, onto all those people in that room? And I thought, this is how every person in my church thinks talking about their faith is received. I don't want to push my agenda on anybody else. I don't want to push my faith on other people. It's hard. It's hard in moments like these to have conversations that matter or... Um, to put our light on the line in a space like that. Um, it also reminds me of just the fact that we don't know, often know what we have to contribute to a conversation like that. So I was in a moment where I had something to say that was I knew was the way of Jesus, but often we're in spaces like that and we don't know. We wouldn't, wouldn't even know how to advocate for something we care about in a way that draws a direct line to the God we serve. Most of us don't really know how to do that. It reminds me, you probably have been at a table like this before. Um, you ever been at a table at dinner, at dinner and you, a conversation starts that you have nothing to contribute to? I wonder what those conversations are for you. This is more take a side from what I just said a few minutes ago. What are those conversations for you? I can tell you what they are for me. Um, Star Wars. <laughs> uh, if Star Wars comes up in a conversation, I immediately feel like I, it comes up a lot around clergy for some reason. Um, I think recently I said to, or might have said on the leadership retreat, like, you want to get me to glass over during someone's sermon, a sermon illustration about Star Wars. Um, a lot of clergy like to use them. I just, I don't connect. It's not my thing. Um, another thing would be like in my neighborhood, I'm trying to connect with my neighbors and all, uh, 
we like connect on so many things. They're such great people. Until Real Housewives of whatever new city has just dropped comes up and I feel like I am totally in another world. Um, nothing to contribute. Uh, and then let me think of another one. Um, oh, com anything computer science-y? Anything, I'm like, I'm the, I'm the person who, who does not, uh, forgets to put the documents in, in the, the, the cloud until my computer is screaming at me because it's now holding all these documents not in the cloud. I'm the person, like, the person who's like, oh, that's probably why it alerted me about the malware. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, <laughs> and then I text Brett and Brett's like, pretty sure it's all your fault. It's not, it's not the computer, Michelle. Um, <laughs> so I, we all, I mean, a, a conversation, if you brought up that stuff at dinner, I would just, I would not be able to have anything to contribute. I do feel like that's often how we feel about our faith in settings like that. Um, I, I think maybe it's probably why there's a decline in Bible study attendance. It's because you have to come into a room and there's people who feel like they're super knowledgeable about the Bible and then you come or, and then you're like, they seem to know how to talk about their faith and like, I come here and I, it feels like, like computer science to me. I just don't know. And even though I'm a church goer on Sunday mornings, um, there's just some things that we don't talk about <laughs> um, because, well, we don't know how to talk about it. Um, and then there's the things that we don't talk about because we're completely uncomfortable in doing so. I, the same, I think, is these dinner conversations. It spills right over into the church. We are often very, very quiet at the dinner table of our world. Right? Well, those of us here, this kind of church. There's others that are pretty loud. Um, think the rise in AI, the, the, um, of the use of AI, the, the race in America, gun violence, the crisis at the border, the definition of religious freedom, maybe, women's rights, affordable housing. While there is no shortage of folks offering their two cents on any of these things, any given day, we as the church, the body of Christ, not only seem to lack clarity at times, but, but also like confidence in our ability to contribute to those conversations. These are issues unique in our time, yes. But of course, they would have been you know, completely impossible for the people of the first century to, to even possibly anticipate. But we as Christians, we, we can't just open our Bible anymore and find Jesus speaking directly to hot topics of 2024. It might have made a whole lot of sense to those reading it then. We can't find, we can't find gun violence there. We can't find women's rights there. We can't find affordable housing there explicitly. <coughs> and so it's completely understandable, I think, that we often grow tired 
at the dinner table because it's really hard to find these things in scripture. It's understandable that we're, that we're not really in the habit of shedding much light on these conversations from the vantage point of our faith. But then there's the stuff that is in scripture, right? There is so much there. There's the stuff that's in scripture, like, like today's text. And we're not, there's nothing, I'm not gonna put it on the screen right now. Um, it was a short, it's a short scripture about the casting out of demons. Did you hear it as Richard read? And the casting out of demons is in our scriptures. And yeah, that's another thing we don't really talk about very much, right? It's a uniquely bible thing. Something we don't talk about very much. And I think it's because the second we try, we feel like we're like swerving way out of our lane. It, maybe you grew up in a tradition like me. I grew up Pentecostal. They had a lot to say about the casting out of demons. Um, they had no problem talking about demons. We didn't just talk about it. We talked about it like it was the greatest war we've ever waged. <laughs> the one in the heavenlies. We didn't just talk about it. We prayed for the power to cast out demons, to cast demons out of people. Now, right now, today, laying hands on them in the power of Jesus' name. But now as a Methodist, someone who subscribes to the Wesleyan theology, um, I can speak for the general lot of Methodists. We don't know what the heck to do with it. <laughs> we don't know what to do with Jesus the exorcist. We don't. Just about as much as you would know what to do if that woman confronted you in the hallway of Fairfax. Fairfax Governmental Center. We don't know what to do with Jesus the Exorcist. We like, so we like to keep it really neat and uh, nice and vague. <laughs> the problem is Mark doesn't do this. Mark's not vague about it at all. In Mark's gospel alone, there are 13 healing stories, four of which are exorcisms. And it's possible we could use another word for what seems to happen here in Mark 1, um, or Mark 5, or Mark 7, or Mark 9, but we could come up with a different way to describe it. Notice it didn't actually even say in this version of the Bible, casting out demons. It says, a man with an unclean spirit. We could use all kinds of other words, all kinds of other translations, but um, we can't seem to ignore that this is, in fact, a dimension of Jesus' ministry, apparently. Jesus, according to Mark, is one who casts out demons. And so what do we do as Methodists? What do we do with it? How do we talk about it when it comes up awkwardly at the dinner table? Which it totally has. I, it, <laughs> 
Well, there is one actual off-ramp we could take. It's the off-ramp that often we take. Um, and that's attributing the talk of demons to some kind of ancient understanding uh, or misunderstanding of sickness and disease. We could take that off-ramp. We now know the causes, right? We're now enlightened modern people. We now know all the causes of all the ailments that they talked about in the scriptures that the people mentioned. <coughs> um, we, we now know all of that. We're people enlightened, science people. And so there's no real need to focus on it, right? On this demon talk. We shouldn't focus on it anymore. We're enlightened. We don't need to examine it any, any closer. And so we nestle it into our kind of modern medical enlightenment world and take the out and close the conversation. But I wonder, I wonder the price we pay for turning the light out on that and just going to bed. I wonder the price we pay when we turn the light out often and just go to bed. First of all, there are so many examples of people being healed in the Gospels with no mention of demons at all. So if we go the modern medical enlightenment route, between these and the healing stories where, where demons show up, there, another thing, if perhaps demon possession was a way that people of the first century talked about evil, what happens then when, when we do take the off-ramp and close the conversation on that? What happens when we feel too unequipped to shed some kind of light when darkness is on the line? As far back as I can remember, as far back, exorcism was never anything more than just a premise of a very scary movie with multiple more versions of it. Um, the kind of movie I never cared to really watch. I never imagined that as a pastor, I'd actually be asked about exorcisms. Never thought that'd be a thing. It's actually a thing people ask about. <coughs> Not normally people in our congregation, I promise. It's not really you all that ask about this. Um, but it's more of like a wider public kind of peripheral com conversation that comes up while I'm sitting at the bar at the end of the night at, after the chalkboard caroling. And so I'm sitting next to somebody who happens to be there with a clergy collar on. I didn't have a clergy collar on the most recent one. But in the past, after pub theology kind of stuff, go up, sit at the bar. Some random person sees you with a clergy collar on, asks a question. And I'm thinking, really? Like, why? Why would this be the question? Why is this the thing you've been dying to ask the person in the clergy collar if you ever happen to one day sit next, down next to them? My brain always thinks, like, really? They've got to be kidding, right? But they're no, usually not kidding at all when they ask this question. These sorts of, of questions often make clergy too feel um, like someone is trivializing what we do or um, kind of make, mocking it. 
a little bit, asking us. That's the one first question you came up with, right? Um, because the only thing you've ever seen with a, with a clergy collar is the exorcist. Is that like the only one? And but it's, I believe it's just someone looking for an answer to a question the church isn't asking. And so maybe instead of taking the off ramp or working to end the conversation, which is what I would really like to do at that point in the night, maybe this is the moment to let my light shine a bit or to put my light on the line at this moment, to find a little bit more. Perhaps there's a question beneath their question. If people want to know whether I perform exorcisms, maybe what they're saying is that something terrible has grabbed a hold of someone they dearly love. And it's not the person that that they used to know. They don't even recognize them anymore. Or maybe they're asking, goodness, can you help this world deal? Do you have the ability to help this world deal with the evil that is so obviously in it? Do you have a way of helping me make sense of it? Do you have a way of helping it go away? Those first century Jews and Gentiles came to Jesus with a similar question that had questions behind the question. And Jesus never laughed. Jesus didn't interpret it as mocking him. He took them seriously. So many people sought out Jesus for relief, believing that their loved ones were afflicted, that they had become dominated by unclean spirits. And sometimes these unclean spirits cried out spontaneously, apart from human request even, or any question about it at all. It's this kind of story that Mark is telling in today's scripture, it, that when we, that, that when he went to, to Capernaum on the Sabbath day and entered the synagogue to teach, that everyone was astounded at his teaching. For he taught them, it says, not as the scribes did, but rather about the one who has the authority. And just then a man with this unclean spirit, it says, cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? And then the man says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. It says that Jesus immediately rebukes him and says, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing in him, crying this loud final cry comes out of the man to the amazement of all the people. And they start asking one another, who is this? Who is this? What is this? This is, this is some kind of new teaching on authority for this man. He's commanding even unclean spirits and they're obeying him. And so there you have it. That's, there, there's the story. 
Jesus casting out an unclean spirit, God revealing God's self to this crowd by way of exorcism. And I, for one, am suddenly quiet at the dinner table or on the chalkboard bar stool. Don't get me wrong, uh, quiet is sometimes good. Learning when not to talk is good. Sometimes there are times when you just, it's better to not say anything. But over time, the silence can be interpreted and sometimes even become a complete lack of integrity among people of faith. They may see someone talking out of, in us, someone talking out of both sides of our mouth, affirming, affirming the sciences one day and then telling stories about demon the next. Never the two shall meet. Marching for women's rights and then singing in worship on Sunday. Never the two shall meet. Passionately voicing dissent with moms against gun violence, but Christians against gun violence? I'm never going to enter that combo. I don't talk about that. I don't talk about what it is about Jesus that compels me to work for responsible gun control. I don't talk about that. Never the two shall meet. Concerned with religious freedom and solidarity for our Jewish siblings or our Muslim siblings in faith. But never exercising our own religious freedom on their behalf from the unique place that we sit in our Christian identity. Not progressive identity, not American identity, but our Christian identity. Never allowing our faith to narrate our values, to shine when the way of Jesus is so clearly what needs to shine and when the way of Jesus is on the line. So church, it may be time that we say something. I wonder if we were to rewind a little bit to the convo I had with that woman. I answered one way. But I wonder what other stories come to mind for you if in that moment perhaps it's you know Jesus maybe it's as simple as Jesus always said Jesus was for the least of these right something you know you know that language you could have said that the last will be first the first will be last right words of Jesus blessed are the poor for they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven so many ways that we can testify to how Jesus uniquely has something to say here maybe it's time to say something not repeat what what we said in the medieval times not to quote what various reformers have said a hundred years later but but maybe it's time for us to say something from our particular position of faith maybe that's really important it may be time to say something, to gather around this account of an unclean spirit and interpret it in a way that is, is not only faithful, but, but adds to the conversation our world is having with or without us. And don't just 
add another political voice or another progressive voice or another conservative voice or another American voice, but a uniquely Christian voice that places the light of the world we know in Jesus and this light of the spirit that, that, that's been put in each one of us places it on the line. And so I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to try when, it, when, it's, when, it's, when I'm confronted with it, I'm going I'm to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try. I know what you're thinking. Good. I'm glad she's giving it a try. That's what we pay her for. Um, but the problem is the job is so much bigger than me. So I ask, I ask if you could just be thinking as you go how you might match your values with what you know about Jesus. And maybe say something. When you're at the dinner table and it's a topic that you actually have something to contribute to, that you know well, that you're passionate about. Maybe it's just as simple as dropping. And also as a Christian, I just, I don't, I, it just, it does not sit right with me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be what Jesus wanted for some to have a lot and for others to have nothing. It's so simple. What if the stories about demons aren't ultimately stories about demons? Sure, it's intriguing um, to look into the first century worldviews about how, how Greeks talked about demons while Jews spoke of angels and, and spirits. We could go there. It's, it's probably important to understand that, that these distinct views were commingling in the minds of the evangelists and therefore the stories that come out of the Gospels. But what if the New Testament is the wrong place to look for this? What if we're looking, what we're looking for is, is an explanation of, of how demons and, and unclean spirits are to blame for our deepest, most treatment-resistant trouble in this world. We're looking for that, but that's not what we bottom line get from this. It's not what the story's really about. Jesus' exorcisms, including this one that we read today, was really just about authority, kingdom authority. And they still are. To speak of unclean spirits being cast out by the Christ is to speak of how God in the flesh took on the forces at odd with new creation, where where there was hostility to heavenly intent. Anywhere there's a hostility to heavenly intent, where the, the status quo lashed out at, at redemption and restoration. Jesus of Nazareth then looked it in the eye. And it, the evil, the hostility, whatever that is, well, it recognized him. You want to know why it's important to maybe say the name of Jesus occasionally when you're advocating for your values is because there is something wholly different when evil recognizes Jesus. They cried out because they didn't want to lose. The demons cried out because they didn't want to lose their playground, right? 
Friends, forget how we understand it or don't understand it. Like, put that to the side. Jesus understood this interaction as a part of what he had been anointed to do in the spirit. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. His casting out ministry lifted the curtain on the age to come. And allowed the people of Galilee to see all of these forces for what they were and also defeated When Jesus responded to the unclean spirits that cried out in his presence, Mark is betting, or at least Mark is hoping, that you and I are also going to be taken aback. Who is this that even the demons recognize him? What day is it that evil is, is being brought out of where it has been comfortable for so long? Who is this? What time is it? And it's this dawn of a new era then. Even the demons see it then. Which is good news for us. Good news, first of all, because it assures. It assures us that Jesus came to do more than just help a few people find the right religion. Jesus came to reclaim for God what is God's own. And to, to touch and to heal all of the things that seem beyond our reach or broken beyond our repair. It's good news for us because if we can take this story with us. The story of evil telling Jesus to mind his own freaking business. We will not be deterred when evil tries to tell us that our place is inside the four walls of a sanctuary, talking about our favorite hymn, what the altar looks like this week, what the children are learning in Sunday school, or even what service project we're gonna do later. Because make no mistake, the powers that be are not interested in us finding something to say at the dinner table other than that. Particularly if what we say channels the same spirit that anointed Jesus. They would rather for the scribes to just keep speaking. The scribes are those who say things like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that go against or wouldn't that bother those who already, whose way of life has already been created? Wouldn't that make it uncomfortable for for those people, but instead they said, this man speaks with a whole new authority. It's time we start telling the stories of Jesus, the one in whom unclean spirits obey. Let's pray. God, we long to, to be your light, to have it in us, to live it, to share it. And yet, we also feel like we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable or impose our faith on others. Every time we worry, God, about imposing our faith on others, there are unclean spirits not being cast out. 
There are places in our world that are needing not just a good deed or a helping hand, another person advocating at another meeting, places in our world that uniquely need Jesus to stare it down. Because we know how it works. Meetings are good, but they're full of people. People challenge people. Some good gets accomplished, and a lot of good does not. And we know, God, what it's like when we put our hands to work and what we're going to do in a few minutes, where we, we serve and we pack meals and we try our, our best to do what we can in this little corner to address the need in our community, the haves and the have-nots, the least, and those who have the most. But if we don't stare down the evil of, of systems that make that possible, if we don't allow Jesus to stare it down, these evils just continue to hop from person to person, society to society, and so, God, we um, submit today. We come before you asking you to empower us, to teach us, to make us people who put aside the discomfort and realize that often the line that we're going to impose our, our beliefs on someone else, often it's one person and a few who feel that. The majority are waiting to hear the voice of Jesus, to see the eyes of Jesus cast down the evil. The world needs that. The world is longing for it. Make us bold people, God, to do it. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.